0: Hey, good morning, everybody! Resurrection Sunday, almost normal. This feels great, doesn't it? Come on, this feels amazing. <laughs> I told the band, "Hey, we have an audience. Look, this will be fun." Something else changed. See what we got? Huh? See the cross? Yeah. You notice anything special about the cross? Yeah, it's empty. It's got a tomb that goes with it. It's empty. Because the grave could not hold down Jesus the Christ, it's Resurrection Sunday. There are only a few events that change the universe, and Resurrection Sunday is one of those days. Changed everything for humanity. Uh, when I when I moved here a number of years ago to so to Austin, back to back to Austin. And, I was working with with a man that had a radio show on KLBJ AM, and it was called Christian Encounter. It was a fun show, very informative. Uh, We would get on the telephone, men and women, some of the brightest men and women uh, in various fields of study, and whether they were some some were theists, some were atheists, and some were uh, Christ followers, and, and we just opened it up to any questions people might have about the nature of God and the promises of Christianity. It, and it, we did this for years. And you know, I, after a while I realized, wow, this, there's, there's a lot of answers to a, a lot of difficult questions. So when, the person I was working for said, well, let's see how, how you do. Uh, here's, so he, here's how he challenged me. He said, why don't you go down to UT, one of the guys dorms, just sit in the lobby, grab a crowd, you know, let them gather around you and then say, I'll answer any of the questions you guys have. And so I did that, went down there and Went just gather everybody up and said, "Okay, what do you have? Let's let's talk about this." And what I was, you know, the end game was to show them kind of the limitations of science in some respects, and the philosophy of science, if you know what that means, and then also to explain how most of us live a lot of our life based on faith. There's not like faith versus facts. There's we all live our lives with a lot of faith. <laughs> so um, I I started working my way through you know kind of like the big bangs of what we believe to be true. The first one is the what's called the cosmological big bang. I'd ask him to explain how something came from nothing. Not wait, not something, everything. <laughs> and not just everything, but everything got in very precise order so that the galaxies and solar systems wouldn't collapse upon themselves. So everything came from nothing and got in very particular order. That that takes a certain amount of faith to believe that. Kind of a big bang. So I said, well, there's, there's another big bang that you have to believe by faith, and, and that is that life came from non-life. There was non-life, and then there was life. And again, it feels very binary. It just kind of happened. And that happened without outside influence, with an atheist view. Then there's an anthropological big bang. Because man is not like Any other created, or I'm sorry, any other evolved thing. There's a difference in man. There's a difference it makes. He's different in kind. A mechanistic brain that other animals have, they they can't be self-reflective. You don't get you don't get the thinker, Michelangelo, Leonardo da da Vinci. You don't get uh, Beethoven. That's the different kind of of life, and that is a faith-based moment when man distance himself from other mammals. And then finally, there's a spiritual, a soul-ish additive here. There's something that's very difficult to explain, if especially, especially if you don't believe there's a maker, and that is that, that we have a soul and spirit, that there's free will, there, there's an existential desire and craving to answer questions like, why? There's a relentless pursuit of purpose and meaning and and significance. Plato said, the pursuit of the true, the good, the beautiful. And so how could you explain that? And we'd talk for hours, just working our way through the big bangs of faith. And then when it was time to close, I would finish my iced tea. And I brought a prop. I said, so... Let's think about this. I used to have a real live human skull. It wasn't really alive. It was a real it was a real skull. It was a friend of mine. It wasn't really a friend of mine. It was a friend of mine that had it, so it wasn't his skull. But when I lived in California, he gave me this human skull and made for a good prop. When I came to Texas, I found out that was a felony, so I got rid of that. So. <laughs> this one's plastic, so we can stay out of jail today. And I would just. I would just pass this around. They would hold, it's, you know, unless you're part of the medical profession, you don't get a lot of this. And so they would just hold it and stare at it. And i say, okay, watch this. This is you. That's all there is. It's fertilizer. And maybe someday you'll help an oak tree sprout a leaf. Or maybe spread poison ivy. But that's you—nothing but fertilizer. This is your; these are your memories, your beliefs, all that you are and will be. That's it, and it won't take long for you to get there. If if man is just an accident, that's how it ends up, and and it's no wonder, Hamlet. Oh, Alexander died. Alexander was buried. Alexander was turned to dust, the dust was turned to clay, the clay was used to patch a beer barrel. Oh magnificent Caesar, dead and turned to clay to plug a hole to keep the wind away. Oh that that earth, oh that that earth that kept the world in awe <laughs> would used to expel the winter flaw. That's a hard thing to come to grasp, that without a maker, we are just, we're just dust, we're just fertilizer. And yet, how come, here's the thing, this is the, four, the fourth big bang, why can't we be content? If we're just a product of, of life, then how come we have this relentless pursuit for purpose and meaning? How come if we get everything we could possibly ever want, we wonder... How come it's not enough? Why is there a longing past this existence unless we're made for something more? And that's where Easter shows up and says, oh, yeah, you're meant for more. The resurrection is proof positive that we are not mortal. We are eternal. It changes the meaning of life because it changes the meaning of death. Like we sang, it changes changes tombs into gardens. It it, 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 it turns the mundane into meaningful. It proves to us the way we were meant to be and the way we were meant to live. This is what Jesus says as a promise as the way we were meant to live. He says this in John 10, chapter 10, 10, 10. He says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I come that you might have life and have it in the full, to the full. Another translation says, have it abundantly. Another one says, I came that you might have real and eternal life. More and better than you ever dreamed of. More and better than you ever dreamed of. Boom. That's what Jesus promises us. On this Easter, I want to ask: How's that going? Do people live that way? Do people live the abundant life more than you could ever, ever have dreamed of? Because I, when I look around, I don't, I don't see that. I see people distracted. I see people just kind of staying busy, but no one's stopping and wondering, is this all there is? There must be something more. It has to do with the depth of our dreams and the height of our witches, the, the, the distance that, you know, our, our vision is, and we don't stop and slow down enough to realize that we have eternity in our hearts. We were meant for a glorious life that glorifies God. We were meant to have life and have it abundantly. And the resurrection is the key to the means of getting that. Let me show you. It's all in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It is saturated through this. We'll look, a lot at, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 a lot today. But look what Paul says is life as fertilizer. He says, if the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This is a New Testament Declaration, And he's kind of referring back to an Older Testament where Solomon says, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. And why is that true? He's just, he's just kind of saying, look, if, if, we're, if we're nothing more than fertilizer, if we're just kind of animals with thumbs and can pretty good at communication, then our end goal should be this. Be comfortably numb. Good for you. But the problem is, when people get that, They want more. Whatever we have, whatever we get from this life, our spirit cries out for so much more meaning and purpose. Even the Harvard Business Review says hey, it's not just about achieving. Look what it's, Harvard Business Review said this for the meaning, for meaning is the essence of what it means to be human. You and I, Homo sapiens, Search constantly for tiny little flickers of meaning in every tangle and buzz of the world around us. And it defines our experience, not just living as living things, but as human beings. (laughs) I used to read HBR all the time, especially in grad school. I don't remember them writing that. Because they were just all about achieving things. And then maybe they finally got what they achieved. There's, There's these clues messages sent from Eden and from heaven, and they're saying, we weren't made for here. We are, not, we are destined for something greater. And they're all pointing to the good and the true and the beautiful and becoming like Christ. There are two reasons that people do not enjoy the abundant life. And when I say that, I mean people in the church and outside the church. There are two reasons that people do not have supernatural stories in their lives on a regular basis feeling as though God is in their very midst, living in their lives. And the resurrection, it gives us the answers to those reasons, inside and outside the church. The first reason people don't have this life greater than they could hope or imagine is because they're feeding the wrong cravings, feeding the wrong cravings. They are choosing to live a noble lie. The culture around us, they are telling us to just feed our egos and comfort our bodies and do whatever it takes to just kind of enjoy life. Our desires are too little, is what I'm appealing to, that our souls want more. We're told to be satisfied in these things, but these things don't satisfy. And, <laughs> and no matter how hard, we, that's, that's one way of doing it, just having the wrong ambition, Another way is to have the right ambition, a God-given ambition, but turn it into something way more than it was meant to be. Turn it into, like, the reason you live, like being a parent. It's fine if it's a means, but it makes a terrible end, and when you start to make that your identity, you can't be satisfied with that. Look at, I I sent a a thing around in our social media, an interview with Tom Brady. We can't play videos in here. It's complicated uh, for the internet and all that, but... It's a fascinating interview with Tom Brady, right, greatest of all time quarterbacks, uh, has a lovely family. In his own words, I have more money than I know what to do with. And then he says this. He says, I have these Super Bowl rings, and I, I, and I, still, I still wonder if there's something greater for me out there. He says, there, there has to be more than this, right? Wow. I mean, there's a person that gets it all, but all the stuff he gets is temporal stuff. And some of those things are God-given ambitions, but if they're, if they're the reason for living, they won't satisfy because we're more than fertilizer. We're so much more. And like a philosophy teacher that I had in graduate school he used to call this destination sickness because he said, don't pity the person that's on the treadmill thinking he he, he, can, he might find something if he got the right zip code or, or achieve the, the right amount of health or whatever it might be. That person, they can stay diluted all the way till their death. Pity the person that gets there. They actually get everything they could ever ask or imagine. That sick person realizes they get home and that home is a homesickness that can't be cured. Destination sickness is when you seek some destination, you arrive at that destination and you realize you're more than fertilizer. You're made in the image of God. Uh, The figure of speech, you've heard it. Right. I climbed the ladder of success, and when I got to the top, I found out it was leaning against the wrong wall. That that's what we're talking about. Having the ladder against the right wall. The number one reason why people don't experience the abundant life is because the shepherds of this culture, the, the, the thief that comes in the night to steal and destroy, he he leads us to pastures that make us fat but don't nurture our souls. He gives us salt water. Not to quench our thirst, but to make us more thirsty. We're more than fertilizer. Resurrection, if there's a resurrection, that means we're gonna be resurrected in some way, and that means we're we're meant to be more. It's sarcastic, I think, when Solomon says it, he says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But if you eat and drink, like all you are, is this, you can't be merry. That's the frustrating part. We're made for more. We're made in the image of Jesus Christ. We are meant to be like Christ in all of our life. And Resurrection Sunday, it changes everything because it proves that Jesus Christ, if he was raised from the dead, so will we. It it says that we might be living in a shadow land. He says we might be trapped in the matrix and we need to get out. There's no abundance here. You have to experience the joy of God to experience the abundant life. The second reason that um, people do not experience the abundant life, and this is particularly true for people inside the church, right? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundant, that you might have it fully. And people say, I've been going to church for about 20 years. Still don't get this. Uh, Was he, like, talking about the next life? That's what it is. Maybe he was kidding. (laughs) Maybe he was lying. It's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be now. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So how come people in the church don't get it? Their ladders are on the right wall. Here's why. They hedge their bet. They don't invest entirely in the promises of Jesus. Jesus, listen, when Jesus, when Jesus says, follow me, he says, bet it all. He never equivocates. He never holds back. He never says, well, you know, holds a little bit back. You might, you never know. All the time, he's always saying, and he's never shy about it, give me everything. Because if you don't give him everything, you cannot have the abundant life. Christianity does not work. Let's just be Americans. Christianity does not work unless you give everything over to the Lord, all the things that you value, all the things that are important to you. Look what he says at the climax of the first part of, of his great sermon, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, be given to you as well. Then you'll get the abundant life, but you have to seek these things first. If you seek them second, awesome, good for you. No abundant life. It can't be high on your list. It is first on your list or it doesn't work. That's why people don't experience the abundant life. Listen to what he says. I'm telling you, Jesus, again, he never gives us a chance to say, well, you know, I don't, didn't understand. Listen to how he says, when he just says, follow me. Look what he says. He says, if you want to follow me, he goes, deny yourself. That means go all in. Take up your cross. That kind of means bet it all. <laughs> and then follow me. It's a parallelism. They're all saying the same thing. You want to follow Jesus? You've got to bet it all. You have to go all in. You can't hold anything back. Never says hold on. As a matter of fact, he does say this, whatever you hold on to holds you back from having the abundant life. Whatever whatever anchor you're carrying is keeping you from flying. So if you let go of comfort as a necessity of life, if you let go of like feeling important or needing to be respected, if you let go of that, that might be the very thing that'll set you free to allow you to have the abundant life. So since we're asking questions, why don't people move their ladder to the right wall that we're eternal beings and they surrender to God? Why don't people in the church move their wall, change their values to saying, I'm betting all in? Why don't we say, you can have all of me? Here's why. Because it's expensive, that's why. It's scary. It's, it's this huge, like it's a huge ask. And God's not asking to us to just like do this based on emotion what I love about Easter resurrection is he says, look, I understand what I'm asking, and I'm telling you, it's reasonable to do that. It's, it's a huge cost to change your whole identity. It is exceedingly costly to live the Christian life, okay? I, I acknowledge that. I made a list, just, just, maybe it's just me. But the confession and the repentance, man, that's tiring. Discipline, overcoming addictions, giving, serving, sacrificing, living deeply, fully committing to grieving effectively, that's not easy to do. The only way to do it, though, is... (laughs) Like, Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. And God says, yeah, 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 I know. I do do the impossible. But the only way the impossible can be done in your life is if you give me everything. And so, yeah, I mean, what's great about Christianity is you're going to love people you don't even like. (laughs) I mean, you're going to give extravagantly you're going to take your like fun money your hot tub money and you're going to give it to someone you'll never meet in this lifetime and somehow feel wonderful about that you're going to forgive in magnanimous ways but the only way that's going to happen is if for you to go all in and you got to see that it's worth it you have to see that it's worth it and again god comes up and he says I got this. I know what you're thinking. I know you have your doubts. And so, let's look at some context of that passage that Paul said, St. Paul said, if eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Look at the context, though. Look at verse uh, 31, I die every day. (laughs) Sounds like it's expensive. I mean that, brothers. Look, if I fought off wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, What would I have gained? (laughs) If I'm fertilizer, why am I fighting off wild beasts for the gospel? It's dumb. But then he says this if if the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. See, the context is Paul's going like, look, he's acknowledging the difficulty. I die every day. Do you have any? Paul's a famous scholar, and every day he wakes up and I'm. I'm going to have to wash some feet today. I die every day to my ego, my desires, my passions, my wanting to be comfortable and he just says, "Yeah, that's okay." Because there's a resurrection. If there's no resurrection, this doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So and look at the he he is appealing to the facts of the res, of the resurrection to make that whole thing happen. Why do you change your whole paradigm of living? Why do you go 100% all in, not 99? Because God comes in and says, look, I made you to be reasonable and rational people. And I want you to make a reasonable, rational decision. I want you to go all in. I want you to bet it all. I want you to give me your whole soul. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God, not yours, mine. And he goes to the resurrection. I mean, can we just stop and think how funny this is a little bit? Have you ever thought about how reckless and clumsy God is with the whole directing and producing of the resurrection story? I mean, I mean, just think through it, back it up a little bit, and think that he could send his son to die for us and be raised again in other ways. could have died in the desert by himself. But no, 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 no. Look at his death, okay? It is... <laughs> it is by crucifixion. It takes a very long time for that to happen. Wants to make sure everybody's convinced of it. And crucifixion, no one's going to pretend to get over that in a few days, right? It that, that doesn't allow for that. And he gets crucified on a high hill, right? In broad daylight, <laughs> from nine to noon in the morning, right? During a Jewish holiday, Everybody's there that needs to be there. Everybody can see it in plain sight. Everybody can see what happened. Okay, I think he's dead. I think we're clear on that. Then the grave. He sends him to a grave that's marked, sealed, and guarded by special forces of the Roman Empire. Okay, he's dead and he's in a grave. You see all, all that God's going through so that when we're having those moments and we're kind of going, oh, man, I don't know about this. Sometimes I wish I were just a cat and I could just be left alone and comforted, right? He goes, no, 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 you were not a cat. And then that's just the death and the burial. Look at the resurrection, appealing to reason, facts. Look, for what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. This really matters, the resurrection, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. And then he was buried, that he was raised on the third date according to Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, by the way, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last he appeared to me also. <laughs> Paul's like, Paul's saying, just, hey man, you having your doubts? And these people, he goes, like people saw him alive in his resurrected form. They're still alive. There's Rhonda. She's right over there. She saw him too. Now is it worth it? To change where your ladder's leaning, to go all in, to pay whatever price it takes to obtain the abundant life, yeah, it's worth it. Here's what, here's what Resurrection Sunday says. I'm going to say it just simply in a sentence: You are not crazy. You are not crazy for giving your entire existence to Jesus Christ the King. You're not crazy. Because of the resurrection. Because of the facts. Whatever, whatever you're doing to become like Christ in all of life, it's worth it, and you're not crazy to do it. When, when you change your vacation plans because you feel like the Spirit of God's telling you to do that, you're not crazy. When you change like your marriage because you're going to surrender to the will of God and that means the death of your ego, you're not crazy. When you look at the parenting style that you have and you're either neglecting or worshiping your kids and those things are not good for them or for you and it doesn't get the abundant life and it's disobedience and you have to change that paradigm, it's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him because of the resurrection. That's why Resurrection Sunday changes everything in the human experience. Each of us, we have two choices, don't we? Choice one, we have eternal souls. We are not fertilizer. We are more than that. We are not just human. We are made in the image of Jesus Christ and we're meant to become like Christ in all of life. And there's adequate evidence for that. C.S. Lewis was converted. (laughs) It's a great story if you read Surprised by Joy. It rocked his world because he thought he had the intellectual capabilities and the facts to be an atheist. So he reads Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton, which knocks him off balance. And then... He has a conversation with one of his colleagues at Oxford that says, and he's he's describing him as the most hard-boiled atheist that he knew. And that hard-boiled atheist is having a conversation. He just says, You know, Lewis, it seems that resurrection actually might have happened. There's a lot of facts. (laughs) And Lewis was rocked because he said, I was comfortable thinking the facts were on my side. Want to change your worldview? your identity, your paradigm, you got to move that ladder to the other wall. There's a lot of facts to say that you're more than an animal and life is more than personal pleasure and ego gratification. The second choice is you got to go all in. You have to go all in. Jesus never says, got to leave a little something for you. And he never says this He never once says that if you give him every single thing you value, you'll be trading down. He always says it's an upgrade. He just makes up stories to help you and I to grasp that. He tells a story about a pearl trader and he found the pearl of great price. And then it says, because of the pearl trader's knowledge of what this pearl was, it was the ultimate, right? It was the ideal pearl. It says he sold everything, not most things, not kept a little something-something in the backyard in a a coffee can. No, no, no. He sold everything, purchased the pearl, and went away kind of like bumped. No, he went away (laughs) joy-filled. He got the abundant life. It's a metaphor. He gave every single thing, and he got the abundant life. He got joy. He got joy. Jesus promises this. You go all in, you get the abundant life. Two choices, Grace, on this Resurrection Sunday, 2021. Are you on the right wall? Are you living with the right paradigm, the right worldview, that you are an eternal soul that's just currently being housed in a flesh that's dying and this world can't satisfy your real desires? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, same chapter. We don't have to go far. Look what it says that Christ died for the sins according to Scripture and was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. When you switch your paradigm, you want to live for God, you want to have a relationship with him, it starts with you being reconciled to God. And that's why Paul says he died for our sins. We can't be right with the holiness of God, with with our souls contaminated by rebellion. And so Jesus didn't come just to teach, and he didn't come to be, just to be an example. He came because there was a debt that needed to pay, and he paid the debt that he didn't know, so that we might receive forgiveness that we shouldn't get. So the first step for some of you right now listening to me, you need to make a decision about how to have a relationship with God and the gospel based on Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, he says there's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that's to trust in his death and the proof of his resurrection that your debts are paid, that your shame has been dealt with, and now you have the power to live a life that glorifies God. If you've never made a decision to just trust in that death as, as payment in full towards your sins against God, I want you to go to like that online thing where it says Grace Connect and let someone on our staff know. I want you to... I want you, I'm asking you to pray today that you receive that gift from Jesus Christ and then I want you to tell someone about it today. And someone might be just going online and going to that Grace Connect. You have to tell someone because it, it's life-changing. So part one, I'm going to change the way I'm living. I'm not, I'm not living this way anymore. I'm living for eternity. I'm going to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The second decision we all need to make today is bet it all. There's a passage in first in, in Ephesians chapter one, and it says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God allows us to enjoy the impossible. We can live a life when we're completely surrendered to God, to experience abundant life, to overcome our addictions to our pride, our fears, our insecurities our passions, our addictions to chemical things, all those are available. The point is there's so much more to life. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, based on the evidence of the resurrection, you should absolutely go all in. You should die daily, really, because it's worth it. And Jesus proved it to be true. We're a kind of a small church here in Austin, but we have some big stories. Can I tell you just a few big stories about people that many of them were living in the church for a long time and then finally something triggered, something snapped and they said, I'm gonna go all in because this stuff isn't working. Jesus second, no more. I've known men and women in business and sometimes it's in the same exact business and they hated that business and they just said, you know what, fine fine. I don't need my ego to get stroked at work anymore. I don't need to do whatever I need to do so that people will recognize me or I'll get the house that I want. I'm just going to do my job as like I'm doing it unto the Lord, like I'm working for the Lord, just like it says in the Bible. And when they turned that switch over and they surrendered all the things they wanted in life to be instead a servant of the king and serving the king humbly, modestly, they started enjoying their jobs. Yeah, I know. They started living the abundant life with something that was mundane and now is a ministry. Now is worship. I know some men and women that when they did the math, they realized that God made them to do something else. And they left a career and went into another career to serve God in that context. I know some men and women in this church that had a paradigm of, I'm just going to get what I can in dating as much as I can, as often as I can, with as many as I can. And then they surrendered that part of their life to the lord jesus christ and they said i'll be single the rest of my life if i have to be but i'm going to play by his rules because he's my king and it wasn't based on some camp experience that they had on a women's retreat or a men's retreat or something like that it was because jesus showed himself to be a resurrected savior some of them end up marrying happily some of them don't but they're content in their singleness when the time is right i know men and women who their marriages you know just i think i don't know if it's 50% but i'll bet it's somewhere around 40 just around 40% of our marriage mentors in our marriage ministries 40% of them were on the rocks or kind of pronounced dead and then they surrendered their lives and said you know what i'm not going to be in this marriage to get i'm going to be in the marriage to give i'm going to serve this woman like i'm presenting her as holy and blameless before jesus christ i'm going to su- submit to this man like he's my King Jesus, I'm going to do what I need to do the way I'm going to need to do it, changing the rules, playing by the King. And they start enjoying the abundant life. And there were a lot of deaths on the way there, but they were all worth it. I die daily. I've seen it in parenting. Again, at this church, we're hoping that everyone would become like Christ in all of their life so that they might enjoy the abundant life. So that their life would be a spectacular display of what it means to live in the context of the resurrection. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It was Jesus dying and then being raised again to prove that all of his promises were true. And the promise that I'm emphasizing today is Jesus promised that I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you can have that too. Will you join me in prayer on this Resurrection Sunday? Lord, I I would imagine there's some men and women here, boys and girls, that are looking for meaning and purpose. They desire joy. They want to know how to grieve and suffer well. They want the abundant life. So, Lord, I'd ask that you would help them first negotiate, do they even know you? Have they answered your call, your proposals, your pursuit of them? I'd ask, Lord, that they would surrender to trying to be good so that you'd like them. They'd give up on trying to, like, do whatever they feel like you would want them to do and would receive only a gift from Jesus Christ As the payment for their crimes against you, and will receive the adoption of sonship or daughtership, and become yours. I'd pray that they. I'd ask Lord that they would talk to someone about that this very day. And for many of us, Lord, we hold back a little bit. It just seems reckless. And then we look and we see what's reckless about trusting a God. That would foresee our doubts and then arrange a death so spectacularly public, a burial that's undeniable and a resurrection with entirely too much evidence, so that in these days of doubt, we could reason and desire to sell everything for You, the pearl of great price. Lord, would You call into our minds what we are holding back. Lord, it's my hope and desire that every member of this church would live a life abundantly and that light would shine like a lighthouse and others would want to know what do you what what makes this work for you and they'd be proud to tell about you, your King. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on this Resurrection Sunday. And everybody said, Amen.